Welcome to the Channel 3900 Podcast Network. I am Sam Mulberry, and I am joined by... Annie Berglund. Annie, this is a, a tradition, the second year. Does the second year make it a tradition if you do it yes. twice? Okay. Yes. This is a tradition at the Channel 3900 Podcast Network. We are um, doing a New Year's podcast. Now, the idea behind this is that I'm somebody who loves podcasts, but I always get upset. Not upset. That's overstating it. <laughs> Um, I, I always wish that on Christmas Day or on holidays in general, I'm usually cooking or doing something and I like to listen to a podcast, but nobody puts out podcasts on the holiday, which is actually a day that I really wanted. So I decided we are going to put our flag in New Year's Eve day Yes, to say we are going to put out a podcast, which is going to try to collect people from across the podcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is 2020 has been... I don't know if you've been paying attention. It's what been a happened? little rough. There's so much that right, happened. Right. Lots and lots of stuff happened. A global pandemic, a divisive you know, election. Just those little things. The world collapsing. Right. It's been rough. And we want to say goodbye to 2020. Forever. Forever. But we also want to commemorate it. Mm. Because this is this has been a unique moment in our lives. Mm. Right. Um, so I love the idea ever since I was a kid, I love the idea of creating a time capsule, right? Creating something that then people in the future will listen to or people in the future will encounter and we can tell them something about us and our experience. Mm -hmm. So I asked every show on the network if they would contribute basically a mini episode, uh, where they add things and these can be ideas, objects, items, uh, words of advice, anything to a 2020 podcast to be opened on the anniversary of this day 100 years from now, right? Where will we be? Well, we, we, <laughs> we won't be anywhere. You don't know that. I will be dust. I'm, I'm planning on being dust by 2120 on the eve of 2121. That's oh. that's my plan. We've started out bleak. That's right. Um, and so I sort of think about this as a time capsule. It also... Um, are you familiar with the Whitman sampler? Absolutely no. Okay. I am so old. Um, this was like, as a kid, this was something we were always excited about. Uh, we would always get one of these as a family um, as a gift. Oh. So the Whitman sampler is a box of candy, which maybe you can buy at any point in the year, but we always got one at Christmas. Oh, okay. And the sampler had like all the different, it, they were all chocolate coated, I think, but they were all different kinds of candies, right? And you would open it up and on the top of the box would be a little map to what each kind of candy was. Because you look at a piece of candy, it just looks like chocolate, right? Right. And so you could taste and sample all of these things. It's like a Wonder Ball. I don't know what that is. Look it up. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to say Whitman Sampler because I am old. And at any rate, so this is going to give you a sample of the whole network. I love that. All the personalities here doing mini versions of their show. So my hope is you listen to one of these episodes and say, wow, I'd like to hear more from those people. I'd like to hear more of that. And you know what? We have a lot that you can listen to. Did you know, Annie, that in the year 2020, the Channel 3900 Podcast Network put out 216 episodes? Man. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of episodes. There's a, a lot, lot of, of content. content. Right? If you want to relive 2020, this is a, this podcast today is a start, but you can go backwards and you can live it all in real time um, with us as we slowly, slowly go insane. <laughs> Uh, it's over 23,000 downloads uh, for those episodes. So really exciting stuff. Uh, do you know what our most popular 
episode was? Tell me. Our most popular episode was when we had the biggest star we've ever had on the podcast um, on January 22nd. So on the eve of the Super Bowl, we had Super Bowl champion, former Viking, former Green Bay Packer, Greg Jennings on the 252. Also, doesn't that feel like so long ago? It does. Another world. I can't actually get my head around. That seems like seven years ago. (laughs) Um, So we are going to kick off the podcast, uh, this podcast, by going yes. to one of our most popular shows. It's a show that um, doesn't come around that often. Uh, it sort of pokes its head out uh, oh. a couple times a year. But, but when it comes, it's gold. Yeah, it, people seem to like it. That That's all I can say. Um, so we are going to first go to uh, one of the mainstays of the podcast network, uh, Chris Garretts, uh, and his sidekick. I'm unfamiliar with his work or his name. Heard he's great. Yeah, uh, I've heard he's okay. Uh, we are going to throw to a show that put out two episodes this year. Um each one of those episodes. So, I mean, we're a humble podcast network. I get excited when an episode gets 100 downloads because mm-hmm. if I think about, you know, if we were to put on a presentation and 100 people showed up, we would flip out and how amazing that is. So this podcast, every episode in the history of this podcast has gone over uh, over 100 downloads, including the two episodes from this year. So let's hear from the folks over at Nothing Rhymes with Garrett's. Welcome to Nothing Rhymes with Garrett's. I'm your titular co-host, Chris Garrett's, joined by Sam Mulberry. So if you're new to this uh, occasional, I think we'll say, podcast, uh, the, the the very, very slender conceit of the show is that nothing actually rhymes with la- my last name because it's a weird German one-syllable thing with a Z at the end. And quixotically, we're looking for words that may or may not rhyme with Garrett's. And we each bring words to the show and quickly find out it doesn't rhyme with Garrett's, but we talk about them anyway, because we like words. So, uh, Sam, I think we each have brought one word to this time capsule episode. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Uh, I'll let you go first. So what word okay. do you want to put into the time capsule? Right. So my, I, I wanted to be creative, and then I thought, you know what? Merriam-Webster had a word of the year. I'm just going to go with it. Sam, does pandemic rhyme with Garrett's? It's close. But I think that uh, I don't think it rhymes with Garrett's. It's not actually, but nothing rhymes with Garrett's. But here's why I thought about pandemic. For obvious reasons, we've been living through one, which I think is a first for both of us uh, with COVID-19. Here's why I've been thinking about this. Sam, do you know the etymology of the word pandemic? Well, pan would mean like like uh, <clears throat> across or many, right? Like um, or, or yeah. total. I mean, all? I was like all, I think is the basic, yeah. like, all encompassing, right? Yep. And then demic, I hadn't even thought of this, but it's related to another oh, people, word. right? Demos. People, it's demos. Yeah. It's like yeah. democracy. So it's all people. And so, I mean, something can be epidemic or pandemic that's not related to a disease, but we use it for disease in the 21st century. But I did want to step back to think like one thing about a pandemic is that it's something shared, it's an experience shared by all people, right? Like there, there was a moment earlier this year where I'm teaching a class on war, and, and I had us kind of think through the problems with saying this is like a war, right? Like, and, and the kind of language we use to fight a pandemic, like we're going to fight a war. But like one reason it does kind of fit is like we, it's such an extreme experience that we're struggling to relate it to anything. Even yesterday, I read this piece in The Guardian suggesting we should uh, celebrate Christmas like a wartime Christmas with a kind of muted, melancholy kind of, and just accept that's part of it. 
But like one of the few things that you can appreciate about war is it throws people together. There's a spirit of commonality, self-sacrifice, you know, contributing to each other's good. And I felt some of that. I haven't felt quite as much of that in this all people experience as I might imagine. Like instead, it just seems to amplify the sense of we're not all one people, right? The kind well, of divided America, two nations sort of thing. Can, can I push back on that? Oh, please. Because I think you're looking at it in the immediate and in the now, and you need to think about this as an experience that we're living through and that will continue to shape our conversations going mm -hmm. forward. One of my favorite professors when I was here, uh, G.W. Carlson, uh, when he would teach a history class, he would talk about how for our grand uh, people our age who are uh, Gen Xers, right, for our grandparents, the defining experiences of, li of their lives were the Great Depression and World War and for our parents, it was Vietnam and the, and the civil rights movement. And he would always ask us, what, what is yours? And I got to say, as a Gen Xer, it was tough because like we really didn't have, I mean, we could point to things, but like the Challenger explosion, that's no. not a thing. 9-11 uh, was, was something, but that was after I was out of college. This is another one of those things that um, for our, the rest of our lifetimes, but especially for the rest of people younger than us, I think about our kids. They will forever, this will be one of the defining shaping moments. And so going forward, it will be the thing that they will keep coming back to regardless of who they're talking with, who they meet, everyone their age experienced this. That's super helpful because even as I said my my little piece there, I know as someone who teaches war that as it's happening, war is almost never unified. <laughs> like it actually, I mean, even like a war like World War II, which we think of as this grand national experience, it, it's riven with controversies, right? I mean, along racial lines and uh, capital labor kinds of, and it's only in retrospect that we look back at it as this shared experience. And right, it's that generation that grew up with it. And so I wonder like in 10, 20, 30 years, I'm not sure my kids are gonna remember Trump. I'm not sure they're gonna remember that there were like adults who didn't wear masks, but they'll certainly remember what it was like doing remote schooling and how much they saw of each other and of their parents and not getting to see their grandparents for a while. And I think they'll share that in common with a generation that could be defined by it. I mean, there's a chance that future historians will refer to them as the COVID generation. Absolutely. I mean, like, like, because it's so, so defining to them. Okay. Well, so Chris, that's that's all people. <laughs> yeah, that's a great word to put in the time capsule. You know, people 100 years from now, I think pandemic's a great word. 100 years from now, they might be going through their own if, this, if these cycles seem to uh, seem to fit. Seems like it. What, what word did you bring, Sam? Chris, uh, the word I came up with is a word that we have used throughout this year a lot. And I feel like the meaning of this word has both, it's both lost its meaning and shifted and everything. And that is the word normal. Normal. Does normal rhyme with Garrett's? It is two syllables. I'm afraid it fails on that test and every other test too. No, it does That's not right. rhyme with Garrett's. Nothing rhymes with Garrett's. Uh, so the reason I picked normal is because uh, as we've gone through this, right, where there's all this talk about when we get back to normal or we're comparing now, what we're doing now to normal and, um, and especially as teachers, right, normal school versus this mm -hmm. school. Uh, the new normal, a, a phrase that we got tired of hearing uh, throughout this year. I think normal is a big thing because this year, if it's done anything, it's made us question the idea of normalcy and question the idea of, of I think, um, how static sometimes our experience feels, right? That we can have this sense of normal. And, you know, I just have all these questions going forward. The reason I want to put this in a time capsule is because I am curious 100 years from now, 
uh, as we look back at as well, not we're not going to look back at this time, but as other people look back at this time, how much was our sense of normal shifted long term or how much of this is one of those things where we're in the midst of it? We're like, nothing's ever going to be the same. And then four years from now, it's like, oh, actually, it's things are kind of the same. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the the teaching school kind of idea. I don't know if most of our listeners remember that those were called normal schools, right? And the idea was that it because teachers were supposed to normalize certain kinds of virtues and behaviors. And in a sense, what we're going through is maybe doing that. But actually, I, I'm not sure people want to be normalized into a new normal. I think mostly it's this kind of wistful, oh, I hope we can go back to what we were doing before. I guess like, I'm thinking about this in the spirit of Advent. Right? Like this is a season of anticipation, of expectation for really the second coming, right? And I think mostly we really hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> like really December is mostly about, oh, I hope things go like all December's previously have gone. I, I hope the past kind of reiterates yet again. What we don't want is a future that breaks with what's normal. Like I, I'm and I like I, I love what's normal. I, I hate change in most ways, and I know you're much the same in some ways. Like if we cannot appreciate the possibility of like radical revolutionary change of um, the, the powerful being brought low and the poor being heard, like it's got to happen in the midst of a pandemic like this, right? Like hopefully nothing is normal as a result. Hopefully this makes us question a lot of norms we took for granted before. Um, like earlier in the class today, we're both part of, I know we were thinking about like healthcare outcomes and poverty and, and racial, racial disparities. So I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a big, big, confident, courageous Christian and say, I hope nothing is normal, Sam. I hope it's it, everything changes as a result. Well, one I, thing that one thing that will never change is that Nothing Rhymes with Garrett's is an occasional podcast, but it is one of the most popular <laughs> podcasts on this or on this uh, network. I don't know so, how to market it to people because I, I don't know what to do. Like, why would you possibly listen to the description we give it? And yet people do. And we're grateful for that. I think it's one of those things that that comes down to the very core of what I think podcasting is about, is it's about two people having a conversation. It is. And I've enjoyed our conversation. So we're glad to share it with you all who are listening uh, in 2020 or whenever this time capsule is open. Thanks for listening. Next up on the show, we have a podcast that was created in 2019, but has really flourished uh, as we moved into 2020. This is Bookish at Bethel. Now, what I'm excited about with Bookish at the point that it's at right now is at this point, they are 46 episodes into the show, and they have tracked the Western Humanities Program students from the very beginning of Humanities 1, and they just completed a full cycle going through Humanities 4. Um, and they have guests on almost every episode. This is really the podcast that raises the uh, intellectual level of the podcast <laughs> network. They actually oh, talk does. deeply about books, talk deeply about ideas. Uh, I had the pleasure of being on one episode uh, in 2020 where we talked about Albert Camus' The Stranger. I had a blast. Uh, Anne-Marie Koyster and Carrie Peffley, two of my two of my favorite people. I love to... I love to produce their podcast because I love to listen to their podcast. I learn so much. I get so many book recommendations. And if I'm going to highlight one episode that is really unique, that I'm excited that uh, this is actually the last episode that they put out um, to end 2020, they created an assignment for their students to um, make their own version of Bookish at Bethel. And they actually had a contest. So the students got into groups of three or four, recorded their own podcast, and then each 
section of uh, humanities nominated their best podcast to go on to the playoffs. So there were five podcasts that that made it to that level. And then I got to be the judge of which podcast was going to be the overall champion, which was aired as the most recent episode of Bookish at Bethel. And it's really great to see what the what the students came up with. Carrie and Anne Marie are such inventive people, such interesting people, such great readers, um, mm-hmm. and and great readers of texts. And they even if it's a text that I've read many times, I'm always so interested in the different directions that they go with what they read and the connections that they draw. So let's take a listen to Bookish at Bethel. Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Anne-Marie Koistra in the History Department, and I'm joined by... Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department. And I think our job today is to record um, a little something that we would put in the 2020 time capsule. So, Carrie, are you ready to talk about what items we would put in the time capsule? Sure, sure. And our items we, we decided would fall into kind of three different categories of things that have been important to us or quirky or something like that about 2020. So I'm going to start with my first entry, which was my food item that I found oddly comforting and ate more of than I care to admit. And that is pretzels. I bought so many pretzels. They were absolutely my go-to comfort food of 2020. You had a particular brand too, didn't you? Yes, yes. Because I I learned that there are certain brands that are way better than others. Like Rolled Gold, they're fine. Um, Snyder's, meh. Uh, Old Dutch. Old Dutch are just delicious. They They were so good. So I only buy Old Dutch pretzels now. Yeah, that's good. Um, I went for a slightly maybe healthier item in my like must have go to snack. And I'm also a little embarrassed about how many of these I bought this year. Um, And that is the dried mango, the dried mango and please no sulfur, no additional sweetener. It's it's sweet enough on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, that was like crack cocaine for me. Um, (laughs) Just is how I rewarded myself when I graded stuff or not, you know, didn't dress in sweatpants. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Dried mangoes are delicious and they do not need added sugar. They're just perfect kind of as is a really good dried fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was your second item, Anne-Marie? Well, we then decided um, since we ate so many snacks, we would need the appropriate clothing Um, And actually, that's actually related to another item, but um, clothing. So we went with clothing and I said an essential clothing item for me has been um, the padded flannel shirt. I like the fleece lined flannel shirt. Um, It's great for when you live in an old house and are on Zoom a lot because uh, it does provide the extra warmth that you need in Minnesota, which actually Mm -hmm. is lacking snow at the moment. But that's another whole story. Carrie, you had a clothes item as well that was yeah. very interesting um, yes. for Carrie Peffley. Yes. Well, and I guess I, I can't remember what I ended up deciding. I had kind of two clothing items. Oh, I know. Um, because I, like, in terms of clothing items that I've never worn before, I purchased my first ever pair of leggings. I do not believe that leggings should be worn by adult people in public. <laughs> in, in, never. Um, but, man, 
when you are on Zoom and you're only sort of waist up, um, I have been rocking the sweater and leggings. But additionally, because I've been eating so many pretzels, running shoes also go into my time capsule because I have, in order to sort of cope with the pandemic, I have upped my mileage. So I have run probably close to a thousand miles this year. Um, I have just been running nonstop. So I've gone through three pairs of running shoes. I, yeah, so those definitely go into my... That's amazing. Mm. I know that listeners are going to be on the one hand criticizing you for your statement, your controversial statement about leggings and whether or not they're appropriate outdoor wear for adults. But then they're going to be also very envious of the fact that you've gone through three pairs of shoes and that you've run a thousand miles. And I'm not even going to attempt to do the math, but that seems just like a lot. Um, I had a related exercise equipment Mm -hmm. um, item. And that is because um, I think when the pandemic struck, I thought, okay, if I'm going to be spending a lot of time at home, this is the time to realize a dream. And that is the dream of being able to do a full on push up, not the sort of modified push up, which I have been able to do for years, but the full on push up. And so for me, um, another vital piece in the uh, time capsule is the yoga mat, because that is helpful when you're going to do a full on push up. And I can proudly say that after nine months of effort, I can do five full-on push-ups in a row. Just saying. Mm-hmm. And I, because Anne-Marie and I are mistaken for each other frequently, <laughs> similar in so many ways. We also are equal in sort of being good runners, but maybe not so great in the upper body strength. Yeah. I can tell you that's that's a high, high praise, high achievement. Being able to do five push-ups is, is amazing. And Carrie, I will take that praise. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Um, We also thought that since we are the Bookish at Bethel podcast, we might also want to include vital books. Yes. So Carrie, I sort of thought, I mean, I kind of chose your book for you based on what you'd chosen for yourself, but so I'll let you talk about it, but. Right, right. I mean, and I think our listeners already know um, that, I decided because I started out the pandemic in Dublin, Ireland, when things went south and I had gone for a James Joyce tour of Dublin, um, walking around uh, the Ulysses pathways about Dublin. And so I decided this is going to be my pandemic book. So I've been slowly making my way through it. Um, I still haven't completed it, but it's been my companion throughout uh, the pandemic. So it seems like, yes, the obvious choice for my book, my more bookish submission to the time capsule. Yeah. And I didn't have an obvious choice. There are a lot of great choices out there, but I returned to the book that I thought was so important that I made sure that the new honor students got, and that is the book Gilead by Marilyn Mm -hmm. Robinson, because it is a carefully crafted, um, very deep kind of book, and it's a slow read. And so it's, a, it's something that should be enjoyed and digested with time. So mm-hmm. I, I would say that for my time capsule, it's Marilyn Robinson's Gilead. So that's what's in our time capsule. I think I, it's an exciting time capsule. I mean, it's an exciting one for academics. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. it's exciting. Not sure it's exciting for anybody else, but that's that's okay because that's that's our time capsule. So there. That's right. Um, anyway, um, you've been listening as always to Bookish at Bethel. Okay. 
Okay, next up, we have um, three staples of this network. Truly the podcast that kind of made this network. Yeah, I would say this This is really our flagship show. We, well, Our humble little podcast will move their schedule around whenever they want to oh. drop on Friday. We are happy to, to move around for them. Uh, and in fact, this podcast feed started as Election Shock Therapy. Yes, that's right. And it only got renamed after the 2016 <laughs> election to broaden out what we were doing. Right. And uh, like Bookish at Bethel, this really brings up the intelligence of this. Po- comparing this podcast to something like Tweet Victory. I say maybe we should just say we bring the intelligence <laughs> level down. Everybody else is elevating it, to be honest. That is very, very accurate. Uh, so Election Shock Therapy, um, whenever they put out an episode, they get a lot of listens. Am I right? Yes, this is the most downloaded podcast in the history of the network and the most downloaded downloaded podcast for the year 2020 with over 5,000 episode downloads. Mm. Um, and this was a big year for them. It's an election yes. year. Um and they had the most episodes that went over that 100 episode threshold. They had 80% of their episodes went over there. And I will tell you, because I've tracked this over time, that's only because they put out so many episodes. If we did this, if we looked at these numbers a year from now, I'm guessing all of those episodes would reach that 100, uh, oh. 100 download threshold. And it is earned. I learned so much from their podcasts. And also it is a source of comfort yeah. in uh in what this media year has been like to have people sift through it and kind of come up with narratives that are helpful for me as somebody who doesn't know a ton about politics. Yeah, I walk out of each episode and just say, I can't believe that was free. I got to hear these three people talk and lay out all that they know and lay out all how incisive they are. And it was all for free. That being said, this has been a pretty interesting (laughs) year media wise, uh, politics wise. So uh, the comfort that I just referred to maybe is not uh, as present in this time capsule episode. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say uh, if there's a moment where uh, just like any great epic movie, there's the all is lost moment. (laughs) Um, be prepared for that in the next 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna see, um, some dark reflections on what is truly a dark year. Though it is cathartic to listen to them talk through some of these things that I think we're all feeling in the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts and minds. Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not see. And I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the snowy wilds of Minnesota, it's the three wise men of election shock therapy. Christmas (laughs) edition. Hey, guys. Hello, Chris. The Wiseman came on Epiphany, not Christmas. That's so true. The Wiseman came a couple years after. (laughs) (laughs) You low church people can't distinguish. I know. Oh my gosh. Baptist. We are are here with an Epiphany of our own. We're not bringing you gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh no. Uh, For our our contribution to the Channel 3900 time capsule, we're bringing theft, lies, and loneliness. Wow. You know, we're so cheery on this bleak midwinter's eve um 
my goodness, guys. Um, so as we talked ahead of time about what we wanted to put in the time capsule, we just got sadder and sadder. So um, pour a glass of eggnog with us, if you will. Um, and uh, Dr. Kukum, lead us off. What do you want to talk about theft for? I don't know. I, I'm just thinking of framing, if we're going to frame this, you know, in terms of Christmas, like America was bad this year. We should all get coal in our stockings. All of yeah, us. Yeah. Every last yeah. One. I'm trying to bring back the coal industry. How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some people would really like that, actually. Um, That's right. Yeah, West Virginia could yeah. probably get on board. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I mean, we were we were thinking about okay, so what what is really important about this year? What is significant um, as we in, as we look back on 2020? You know, year from now, five years from now, what will be important? I mean, COVID is really important, but. In some ways, I think what might be more consequential sort of in political terms, and this is a politics podcast, is um, there was a systematic attempt by a president and his staffers um, aided and abetted by many people within the right wing news entertainment complex to actually steal an election. Not the the real theft that's going on is not by the conspiracy, some cons grand, amazing conspiracy on the left in which a lot of GOP members joined. The real theft that was attempted was by Trump. Now, I don't think it was a truly serious attempt uh, in the right. fact that, you know, most of them thought this was actually going to work. Some of them actually did. Um, and who knows what Trump actually thought. But, but basically what we had is, is a, a a president who had no one but himself to blame for his loss. And then he and his team basically create an illusion that he, in fact, won an attempt to overturn the election results, um, to actually steal the election, to overturn you know, the will of the people using a combination of conspiracy theories, fear mongering, loyalty test, hucksterism and lawsuits, most of which are completely frivolous. And so now there is a civil war within the GOP in which high level GOP officials who basically supported and campaigned for Trump, but who have said Biden, you know, is now going to be the president are being blamed for Trump's loss, accused of being in on the conspiracy to defeat Trump and are receiving death threats. A lot of them and their families are receiving the most horrific threats. And it's it's truly astonishing. And we have a sizable portion of the country that believes Trump actually won or should have won. Right. Right. Um, so we have a GOP that is now rotted out to the core from the highest to the lowest levels. Um, and this, you know, at one point, the GOP at least had some principles that it claimed to hold to, you know, the rule of law, healthy social and political institutions, defending our form of constitutional government. And now it's being taken over by conspiracy theories, alternative realities, loyalty tests. It's anti-rule of law, anti-constitution, anti-institution, anti-virtue. Um, and... Trump is at the center of all this, and and that's how we're ending 2020 and ending this decade, and it's a big deal. He's not only really trying to steal the election, he's trying to steal the best parts of our political culture. And in that way, he has been successful. Yep. Rant over. Yes. Oh no, the rant's my friend. <laughs> my so rant's over. What's your <laughs> yeah. Kukum rant is done. More rant begins. Okay. So um, Dr. Kukum took theft. I'm going to take lies. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I want to come back to some, uh, an article from 2017 uh, by Kurt Anderson, which appeared in the Atlantic. Um, and uh, it's the, the title of the article is how America lost its mind. And this, I'm just going to read the first paragraph, um, which resonates with me. Anderson writes, I first noticed our national lurch towards fantasy in 2004 
after President George W. Bush's political mastermind, Karl Rove, came up with the remarkable phrase, reality-based community. People in the reality-based community, he told reporters, believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. That's not the way the world works anymore. A year later, the Colbert Report went on the air. In the first few minutes of the first episode, Stephen Colbert, playing his right-wing populist commentator character, performed a feature called The Word. His very first selection, truthiness. Now, I'm sure some of the word police, the word nistas over at Webster's are going to say, hey, that's not a word. Well, anybody who knows me knows I'm no fan of dictionaries or reference books. They're elitist. Constantly telling us what is or isn't true, <laughs> or what did or didn't happen. Who's Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was finished in 1914? What if I want to say it happened in 1941? That's my right. I don't trust books. They're all facts, no heart. Face it, folks. We're a divided nation, divided between those who think with their heads and those who think with their heart. Because that's where the truth comes from, ladies and gentlemen, the gut. Anderson's right. And maybe Colbert's right. Uh, we have become divorced from the reality-based community. And I fear that it's not just a single uh, directional divorce. I'm a, my fear is that it's become a, a no-fault divorce on both sides. Yeah. And... We've increasingly, and 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 Donald, uh, I'm sorry, pre, uh, past President Barack Obama has has talked about this recently when he said in a speech and confused a whole bunch of people um, when he said that we, what we have is, is, a, is an epistemic problem, and which led a bunch of news reporters to look up what epistemic means. But we know as political scientists what this means. We've entered into a world in which the ways we discern what truth even is is something we can't agree upon. We used to say that everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but not everyone's entitled to their own facts. Now we have people deciding even there are different methodologies for determining what facts are. Yeah. And I'm very worried about this because um, I am not sure how we come back from this. And I'm going to do some fan service now for, for Professor Bramson to lead him in. I know Andy's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And so I want you to imagine, not the books, but the movies with me for a moment here, okay? Uh, in The Fellowship of the Ring, the, ver the, the first of the, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings movies, there's a scene at the, at the end, a pivotal scene, where Frodo decides to set off on his own, to abandon the Fellowship, and to try to take the Ring to Mordor on his own. Of course, he's caught by Sam, who saves him from drowning, and together the two of them embark on this, uh, this, this much more lonely adventure of the two of them trying to make their way into, uh, um, into Mordor and, and to Mount Doom. I want you to imagine alternate history. Nothing, there's, there's, alternate histories are terrible. Alternate fictional histories are worse. Uh, but here's one to imagine. What if Frodo had drowned? What if Frodo didn't make it across the river? What if Sam didn't reach him in time? That's The, the river Anduin, which runs through the middle of, of Middle Earth, is a pretty deep, fast-flowing river. The ring would have washed out to sea. And yes, it's, it wouldn't have been destroyed, but it would have been forestalled for a long period of time. And it would have been a long period of time before the, the agents of Sauron had recovered the ring. In the short term, Sauron's power would not have diminished, but men wouldn't have been overthrown either. The battle would have continued, even though we know that death was on its way. And that's how I feel about truthiness. There are still huge pockets of truth uh, in our country. There's still broad agreements on things like science, broad agreements on things like facts, but the death is coming. And if we don't do something heroic, I, I if, if the ring isn't destroyed in some kind of way, um, the writing's on the wall, I think. Yeah. Well, two, two points on that. One is my, I have to be nerdy um, as a Lord of the Rings fan and just know that it was Sam who almost drowned, not Frodo, but your, I think your analogy still works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been Frodo. 
um, in an alternate history. Um, in I think that's right, Chris. And I think the problem is like, this isn't a problem of the right. It's a problem of the right and the left, right? It means I was just reading a piece this week where, you know, the um, author Rod Dreyer, who's a cons you know conservative uh, blogger, was making the point, right, that we, um, you know, what we've seen on the right now with this just sort of like Trump won a landslide. I know it in my heart to be true. Therefore, it is true, even though all the facts contradict it, right? Um, it's the same kind of like just dismissal of objective truth that we've already seen on the woke left, right? Um, I want to believe, right, that this person is a male now, even though she's clearly genetically female or vice versa, right? I'm just going to believe that's true. I don't care about science for that. I care about science for other things, and I'll be happy to use it to bludgeon you on those things. But on this, it's all about my heart. It's all about what I believe, right? And so it's very selective on both sides. Like, where do you where do you go with objective things and use those to smash other people? And where do you look at objective things that are clearly contrary to what you're saying and just deny them because you don't want to believe them because what feels true to you, truthiness, right? Um, is something different, right? So the, the thing I'm gonna bring into our, our time capsule um, is the loneliness piece. And I think that exacerbates the things you've been talking about, which is that, you know, I think when I think about what would I leave in a time capsule for 2020, it's maybe a couple images. And I don't know if it's a picture or just sort of a visual for you, but I, I, I'm, I'm gonna make this personal here, but I think it works for, for others as well. For me, my visual image is kind of me walking alone through my neighborhood. I did a lot mm. of that this year or me sitting on my couch with a book. I did a lot of that this year. Um, I like doing those things. I like going out and walking. I like sitting on my couch with a book. I did way more of those this year than I like to do. Um, I would also like to be able to have people in my home and to be able to sit down and have conversations with people and conversations with people that I deeply agree with and conversations with people where we disagree, right? Um, a lot less of that happened this year than happens in a normal year. Um, and I think that exacerbates this problem because we sit at home, we read our you know, pre-selected news sources that tell us the things we wanna believe. Um, we, we listen to things that we wanna, you know, that, that kind of tickle our ears, so to speak. Um, and we have fewer and fewer opportunities to really um, be challenged, right? In the way we think um, and to connect with people who are different than us. And so I'll, you know, I think about this in the connection of my church, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and we've been able to do a lot this year, but we still, there's been a disconnect, right? And and people ask like, how are things going? And it's like, I don't know, right? Because I don't see people. There are people I literally haven't seen for months. And theoretically, we still go to church together. And that's tricky because you say, well, we, you know, there's things we maybe disagree about in a, in a political season that is very divisive, right? And under normal circumstances, we're worshiping together, we're fellowshipping together, and that becomes the primary thing. And right now, the primary thing I know of them is what they post on social media, um, which is much more divisive. And I, I think our church will be okay, but I think when you think about this as a larger society, um, you can see why this is such a problem. And so I think that loneliness piece really feeds um, kind of the ability for theft to happen and the ability um, for you know lies to proliferate. On the other hand, when you think of the, the three original gifts of the wise men, right? I mean, it's it's striking um, that these gifts, I mean, they are rich gifts, but they're also gifts, um, especially with the um, the myrrh, that, you know, kind of prefigure the death of Christ, right? Um, and and we are reminded as Christians, although we are giving these, these dark moments, we're reminded we're believers um, in a Lord who conquered by dying, who conquered by defeat, right? Um, G.K. Chesterton in The Ball on the Cross has this great line, right? The cross cannot be defeated, for it is defeat. 
Um, and so if there's a ray of hope in our pretty dark <laughs> um, Christmas you know, time capsule this year, uh, or New Year's time capsule this year for 2020, I think it's that, right? That um, we follow a Lord who does, who does conquer even through defeat. Um, but it is, humanly speaking, a difficult time. Well, this is the end of the election shock therapy uh, time capsule. We wanted to put the important things in our in the time capsule from our podcast, not necessarily happy things, <laughs> but nevertheless, we wish you happiness, joy, and hopefully a little bit more truth, um, a little bit more uh, solidity, a little bit more ownership of the political process, and a little bit less isolation uh, this Christmas season. On behalf of my colleagues here uh, about the university, Merry Christmas. Next up, we have a podcast that was created in the year 2020. Uh, they came up with 12 episodes. And what makes this podcast unique is that the two people who oversee the podcast, Scott Winter and Susan Brooks, never appear on the podcast. Right. Instead, we have mostly Bethel students. Yeah, this is an entirely created by Bethel Students podcast, and it's created out of uh, writing courses that they do. Uh, and this is called the Modern Story Podcast. And I really, really love this um, because each episode features three or four students who uh, take a topic and share their own thoughts and their own writings about that and even do a little bit of response and, and maybe not critique, but response to each other's writings, to each other's ideas. Um, this is sort of kicking up maybe the like NPR factor on mm. uh, on the podcast network. Mm -hmm. This has a uh, very much has that feel. It's always, I'm always really excited when they're teaching a course where they tell me, oh, we want, we want to put some more episodes um, up on this feed. So um, this is one of the newest members of the, of the network, but hopefully something that will continue for semesters to come. So let's take a listen to the Modern Story Podcast. I'm Scott Winter, an English and Journalism professor at Bethel University. And I'm Susan Brooks, also a professor of English and Journalism at Bethel University. The podcasts that we're going to talk about um, have grown out of a class called Story in Modern America, which is a class that looks at the ways that story function in our society. So we play around with what happens in our brains when we read stories, um, how stories function to, um, to advertise things, how stories function in the spiritual world, how stories function in the political world. Um, and we get to read a lot of great stuff and talk about a lot of great stuff. And one of the things that we've done in this course is um, create podcasts. So, one thing that we, we do early in the course um, as we're reading these really intense, really interesting stories is we try to talk about getting to a deeper honesty. So we gave our students a couple assignments. One was to write about a defining moment and we wanted it to be a little bigger. It didn't have to be a testimonial or this, it didn't have to be a life and death situation, but we didn't want it to be, um, I hit a home run in third grade baseball, right? Um, so a bunch of them wrote defining moment stories. And then we also had an option where they could write about um, how they just don't know anything. They can't do anything. They all have always felt inadequate. And those were called, I don't know what I'm doing stories. So all of the students built these stories and um, Susan and I were just really impressed by them. And we thought, you know, what would happen if they read them aloud and we could hear them in their words 
And then we thought, what would happen if we published him to the class? And then we thought, what would happen if we published him beyond that? And that's when the Modern Story podcast, I think, started to take shape as one of the three cornerstone projects in the course. Yeah, so this fall, uh, Professor Angela Shannon and I taught the course again, and our theme this fall was Leap of Faith, which turned out to be perfect for COVID because we weren't, we weren't necessarily leaping, we were more getting pushed into COVID. And it was fun to hear how students thought about and took risks um, and how those risks maybe set them up for surviving a pandemic or how those risks set them up to adjust to a new a new situation of teaching and learning here at Bethel. And we started the podcast the first time we ran this class when Susan and I taught it in the spring. And it was the first of the three projects. And I'm really thankful for that because um, that was the time we had together before in March when, when COVID hit and we all got sent home. Now we could have done podcasts from home, but I think the act of getting in the studio together and reading and reacting to each other's stories. And we kind of set up a format where they could have some fun with it was really intense. And um, I loved all seven episodes, but the one that I really loved, Susan was the one where um, they're talking about finding their own voices. And, and uh, one writer um, talked a lot about um, her own experience in the medical world and finding the guts to say no um, another one talked about um, not wanting to touch doorknobs in in uh, museums. <laughs> and another <laughs> one just talked about just the fear of even speaking up at all and not being able to make decisions. I couldn't even decide um, any of her favorites in her life. And, and it was so very, so many very different things, but they found a theme that really mattered. And I don't know what that has to do with 2020, but all I know is I, I, I go back and listen to those episodes often. And when I was trying to build a, a class during COVID, I kept thinking, how do I recreate this experience? Yeah. yeah. And how do those little details matter, right? How do the things we're noticing matter? Um, and that's been something that's really helped me in 2020 is to think about the little picture, which I feel like I'm stuck in a lot of the time. And how does that little picture kind of matter? Which uh, gets me to my time capsule item, which is my soup recipes, Huh. Every week I make soup in COVID and I start with the recipe, but then I just dump in everything that's going to go bad in the refrigerator, which I feel like is a good metaphor for COVID. <laughs> and then it usually turns out pretty good and I'm pretty sick of it by the end of the week. But, you know, then it's a new week and I make different soup with the other stuff that's going to go bad in the refrigerator. <laughs> and so that metaphor really works for me. And um, so that's what I'd pop in the time capsule. If I could put soup in, I would, but the recipes would be a close second. How about you, well, I'm Scott? With, I'm with you on soup, boy. I, I got COVID and we were lucky enough our family survived it, but I don't know if we would have survived it without the pho soup from pho 79 in my neighborhood. And so I would stick maybe our Friday night ordering out of food to celebrate surviving another week. That mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to put in, those yeah. orders to pho 79. And are we allowed to put things in, like burying them like nuclear waste? You know, like just put it in there and we never want to see it again. Things Is that also allowed? Of? Yeah, things we want to get rid of. Go ahead. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have a pair of fleece pants that when this is all over, they are. I'm never wearing them again. Never, ever, ever. Uh, fleece pants. Yeah, I agree. And then also probably the blanket that the dog and the cat crawl up with me on. It's yeah. disgusting no matter how much we, we wash it. Um, yeah, that's yeah. got to go. And then there, and then maybe, um, 
our app that gets us onto campus. That's got to go. <laughs> Maybe some other apps. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the these little um the little sign on the outside of the cafeteria that tells you how many people are in there and how many more people could go in there. Or in chapel, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or chapel. Exactly. There's lots of but, things we won't miss. Through it all, you know, I I think I'm seeing like um photos in the newspaper of people defiantly drinking a beer at a bar that's supposed to be closed. And I just feel like I'm really proud of our students and our mm-hmm colleagues and our administrators for taking COVID seriously and doing what we could to keep people safe yeah. and keep people learning while we kept them safe. Yeah. And so, and that's spread beyond our campus, you know, mm-hmm. um, tell us about May- Maggie Rearman. Oh yeah. One of my students was student teaching in virtual format this whole semester. And she decided to have her own students, her eighth graders create their own podcasts with their own stories. And so that was just really fun to hear. And she developed the project, got the technology to work even from a distance. And so it is fun to see our students carrying forward um, this passion for stories out into the world and sharing that with, with other people in the community. And Susan is much stronger than I am on pedagogical things. But in the end, uh, Walt Whitman says that the goal of the teacher is to destroy thyself. Thanks, Maggie, for destroying us. That makes me really, really happy. That's absolutely what we're all about. Next up, we have a pairing of two podcast hosts representing different podcasts on this network. Uh, One is a podcast that we started in sort of the heart of the spring semester as everybody went on lockdown and went on quarantine. And questions about the pandemic were uh, really raging and having some perspective on it was really important. So I will say it was super helpful too, as we all went away from Bethel to hear some of our voices of friends here at Bethel talking us through it. Yeah. So, so Amy Poppinga and Chris Gertz decided to do a five episode podcast in late spring, um, looking at different liberal arts subjects and what they can teach us mm-hmm. about understanding this pandemic, understanding COVID-19, but also understanding the idea of pandemics. Generally, the idea of how we think about how we uh, survive through these things, how we interpret them, how we understand them. So they looked at things like art and philosophy and history, mathematics. Um, So it's really a fantastic, uh, a fantastic reflection. And in truth, If we're thinking about things you would put into a time capsule, these five episodes are really a perfect depiction of kind of where different Bethel academics were at um, using the tools of their field to talk about the crisis we were facing. Mm. Speaking of using the tools of their field, um, the other uh, the other host of this segment we're about to play comes from the is, is the, the the titular character of Sarah Shady, public philosopher. Um, this is a wildly popular podcast. It's an occasional pod, but whenever Sarah drops an episode, she's always picking at some topic which is very relevant to the mm-hmm. moment that we're living in taking the tools of a philosopher and applying them really practically to how we think about problems. I have personally included this in my curriculum for my students to listen to some of her podcasts because they're so excellent. Yeah. And I, and I, and I really do. I really appreciate the way Sarah, um, 
the way Sarah thinks about things, the way she thinks about questions. And the way I think about this podcast is Sarah, I feel like, is not only a public philosopher, but she's my personal, <laughs> like, philosopher. The way you would go to a doctor or a therapist, I go to Sarah as a philosopher. Whenever I'm faced with an ethical question, I sort of lay out, here's what I'm thinking, and I want her philosophical take on it. And here it's that in podcast form. So let's take a listen to Amy Poppinga from Pandemics in the Liberal Arts and Sarah Shady from Sarah Shady Public Philosopher as they add items to our 2020 time capsule. Listeners, this is Sarah Shady from Sarah Shady Public Philosopher, and today I am joined by Amy Poppinga from um, Pandemics in the Liberal Arts. We wish we had started the record button a few minutes ago we so do. you could have hear, heard the conversation preceding this conversation, which was about um, how I misunderstood the assignment for this podcast. But that's okay because I feel like it does sort of reflect who you are and that it's sort of if we were in college together. I would have invited you over and my intention would have been to say like watch Gilmore Girls but you came thinking we were going to study together. Like you just took it to a higher level which no. I think is is you know because you're brilliant and you're smart and that's what you did. And I you know showed up with a, a box of cookies and a you know friends DVDs or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah because I was actually thinking what was going in the time capsule was this conversation yes. like my ideas are the time capsule. Well I, I mean so, which is just let's think about that for a minute. Wow, I know mind blown. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will not be putting in the time capsule um, is a bathtub full of water because that yeah. was so Y2K time capsule. Well, and think about that conversation. I mean, think of where we have, we have been since that conversation. No, that the I long for those days when all we were worried about was like our, our own, like our own, like, like, you know, I don't know, short-sighted worries about Y2K. Exactly. We just had no idea. As what was though coming. our worst problem is. How much water can my bathtub hold? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> so what? So what are you putting in the time capsule? I was th as I was thinking about this because I did read the directions correctly. Just to note, um, I decided I kind of took it through the lens of like just what life has looked like, and specifically then that had me thinking about changes in our family life, as I know is something hopefully that is relatable for our listeners. And I know for you, Sarah, um, as you and I are dear friends and have um, had a lot of similarities and sort of how it's changed our family lives. We both are wives. We both are mothers to two sons. Each of us has it. Well, you now have two teenagers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a teenager and a teenager. But um, what it's been like to sort of be together so much, to work from home, to have the kids learning from home um, in those early weeks of the pandemic, to be trying to do my job from home, to have a spouse that's home. And um, we recently, we moved, um, which was, which, which really was like that story of uh, how other people have kind of just sort of like decided to do kind of big life changes. We weren't planning to move. We had no interest in moving. And then we just kind of literally like up and decided that we found this house that we liked and that we would see if we could buy it. And we did. And so I actually just moved in the last two weeks. And as I was doing the cleaning of the home I had lived in for 18 years, I, I, I found three items over and like multiples of them over and over and over again in our home, no matter what the room was, whether it was the master bathroom, whether it was the laundry room, whether it was either of my son's rooms, whether it was the basement, family study, 
living room. And I thought these are what need to be my um, time capsule items. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to start. Yeah, and then please we're gonna turn go because I still got to come up with mine on the fly. Yeah, so you think about it. My first item is a popcorn kernel. And the reason that it's that is because um, the vacuum cleaner makes a very specific sound when it accidentally vacuums over a popcorn kernel. And I did that multiple times um, over the last week as I have been cleaning my old home. Our family has gone through, um, I did figure this out, since last March, three of the Costco-sized boxes of microwave popcorn. Wow. We have consumed so much microwave popcorn. Now, why this is like pandemic-worthy or why this is something new is that usually I make stovetop popcorn. This is like a family ritual, usually one time over the course of the weekend. Maybe it's after we get home from skiing. Maybe it's we're going to watch a movie. I like make popcorn on the stove, which is my preferred method of popcorn making. But the pandemic meant that all of a sudden people needed to be making snacks for themselves frequently, lunch for themselves frequently, um, grabbing um, a quick something to eat uh, on the go that you could make yourself. And for my kids, as well as for my husband, microwave popcorn became that thing. But they would eat it in every room of the house. And there are popcorn kernels, which are a big pain in the butt, to um, remove from the carpet literally everywhere. Why there were popcorn kernels in the laundry room? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but um, this isn't, I don't remember this. I mean, I did clean my house when we lived there. It's not like um, I didn't clean it before, but this to me represented like this notion of being like at home all of the time because the people go, this is apparently the only food my family can make for themselves if I am not, because I don't like microwave popcorn actually. I think it has a very waxy taste to it and it leaves a weird funky taste aftertaste. But just massive amounts of popcorn. And to me that I like will now forever associate like even the smell and the sound of microwave popcorn with just like we're all at home together. This is really good because this has given me an idea for my first time capsule. I think you item. should bring it up. Yeah. And mm. that would be a half pint of milk, like a container oh, okay. of school milk. Sure. Although I would pour oh, this, school milk. I'd Explore. pour the milk out and wash the container so it doesn't like, you know, spoil in the time capsule. Oh. But mm-hmm. um but uh, beginning in the spring, school districts have been able to, with money from the federal government, give free breakfasts and lunches to all kids, um, that live in a given, you know, school district area. So we've been picking up school lunches two to three times a week. They come in big bags, fresh fruit, um, breakfast and lunch entrees. And then every kid gets two half pint or two school milks a day. So, like, what if they don't like milk or don't want it? Doesn't it? matter because it comes in a pre-wrapped up bag. Now, one of my kids is a milk drinker; the other kid isn't. I also have so that problem. we always have way more milk than we actually need, which has led to a lot of creative milk uses on my part. Like, what do you do when you open up your fridge and you find twelve chocolate milks? You learn how to make pudding from scratch using chocolate milk. Um, or what do you I think do? That's with really impressive. Did you make pudding before? No, I've never made pudding from scratch before. You put a little cinnamon in there with the chocolate Mm. milk. You can call it Mexican pudding and your family thinks you're really fantastic. Or you can make rice pudding with the milk. You can invite the Gerts over for a little social distance (laughs) rice pudding party. Exactly. So when I remember uh, the pandemic, I'm going to think of school milk cartons because they are 
Yeah. I think that you could start a YouTube channel where you make creative lunches or no, it doesn't be lunches. You like take the, I mean, it's kind of like chopped, right? It's like you take the box of what came in lunch items free from the district and you make it into Ooh, something. I think that's going to be my family activity for tomorrow. I think that's a great Way idea. Way to go. Okay. So, so my second two, item, yeah. my second item is a Nerf bullet, <laughs> um, a standard Nerf bullet. My kid, my, I don't, I don't know how we accrued so many. We literally must have thousands of Nerf bullets that we own. And I have had a rule for this is not, I, I am actually, I do my best to be uh, eco-conscious, environmentally aware, and to make wise choices as it relates to my, my like own family's approach to, um, conservation, um, and responsible recycling. However, I have a standard rule, which is if I find a Nerf bullet, I just throw it away. Like I'm not, I'm not going to take it back to where we keep them in the basement. I'm just going to throw it away because I come across them all the time. And in one of the last things I was cleaning, which was the refrigerator this morning, I still found a Nerf bullet because they are everywhere <laughs> in our home. Because basically during the pandemic, we started having family Nerf wars where we had a rule that clearly was not followed, which was we will have a family Nerf war if the kids clean up all the bullets after. So like just total free-for-alls. We get It's one parent, one kid versus the other parent and the other kid. We have a, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and then we have a, a weapon selection process. And then you have to choose your base. And so one base is in the basement, one base was on the main level of the house, and then we just have these like crazy all-out Nerf wars. And then the Nerf war is over, essentially like when all the bullets are gone, and then the kids have to clean them all up. But they clearly didn't because I am still finding Nerf bullets everywhere. Do you see how much I love my family? Like, look at this life that we've created. Popcorn, <laughs> Nerf bullets. And yes, Sarah, do you have a, a second um, item? Yeah, right. So thank you again. This yeah. triggered a thought for me. Um, and my second item is going to be disc golf discs. This all started oh. back in April when my family saw a commercial for Can Jam. And if you've ever seen the commercial for Can Jam, it's like a monster truck commercial. So Can Jam, Can Jam, Can Jam. And you introduced my family to right. Can Jam. So Jamie bought Can Jam on the internet, like from Amazon, right at that very moment watching that commercial. And so Can Jam is like these plastic cylinders you put outside in your yard. And it's a Frisbee game and you earn different points for the way that the frisbee makes it into the cylinder so that was pretty fun although i have to say it kind you can kind of get kind of bruised and beat up playing the yeah. game it's and a, it's, it's hard a tough. it's I'd hard like to it's a lot out. harder than you think they make it look really easy on the on the commercial but this became really fun and then that led to my kids finding a bunch of jamie my husband's old disc golf discs from when he was in like college and when we were first married and like what are these i just have to stop you right there though because i feel like we i just don't want listeners to be confused or offended by us putting frisbee and the disc golf thing together because don't people like get really right they're not frisbees so i mean i shouldn't have said it like that i mean no, they are not but frisbees. that's exactly <laughs> true because can jam lost its luster in my family because oh. everybody realized that disc golf are the superior discs and the superior game okay and so my kids then started a, a, a whole spring, summer, fall, continuing into winter obsession with disc golf. We now own a disc golf uh, 
see, I don't even know, catcher thing that's in our backyard. What's that? Like whatever it is when you're playing disc golf. Um, and, and you know, whatever. Oh, the, the goal thing is. that like you hit it and then it's like there's chains. Mm-hmm. And exactly. So the version <laughs> of the golf hole, the basket. I think you call it okay. a basket. Anyway, so they have traveled to many disc golf courses around the city this summer. I often follow along and walk along because, hey, it's a way to get out of the house. Is but, it free? Like is disc yeah, golf free? It is. Okay. I mean, you have to have How your own How much though does like a disc cost? Like 10 to 20 bucks, depending. Although my children have realized that a lot of disc golfs get lost. So what they Just actually like, like to do okay. is go on disc golf courses into the woods, into the tall grass, and even into ponds Ooh. and find lost discs. And then a lot of people will write their name and phone number on their disc in Sharpie. Oh. So, so then... Gavin texts the person and finds out if they want their disc back, in which case they meet up at a disc golf course to exchange discs, or they say, keep it, and then Gavin sells them on Facebook Marketplace. So there's a whole, so they have made their own money with which to buy different discs. It's a whole. I wonder if there's sort of like an etiquette, like if you're putting your name and your number on it, I would think you want it back. So is it sort of like, I mean, like, do you like a jerk if you do want it back? Is there just a big culture of pay it forward in disc golf? Like a lot of philanthropists. There's a lot play of disc golf. Yeah, no, it's very Has it's he found very, one that says Bill Gates? It's a very friendly <laughs> a friendly culture. Um, people often want it back if it's a favorite or they're like, oh my gosh, I lost that two years ago. How crazy. Oh. Or they'll say... Pre-pandemic. There's a lot of trade, right? So I want this disc, but uh, uh, I don't really need that one anymore. You can have it. Do you have one of these that you'd want to give me in exchange? So there's a whole trade. So my house sounds for people with sort of like scented social abilities. It, yeah, exactly. So I would say that we now have like 50 discs what? probably in our house. Do you need that? I mean, they I don't get it. They all do different things. Uh-oh. They're different okay. weights. So it's kind of like golf clubs. Okay, you have so a you putter, choose one. You have a driver. Okay. You have a... Um, yeah. And, and yes, and I find them everywhere. But that okay. has really, that's something that I will remember is how I watched three people in my household develop a lifelong hobby. Uh, and I just sort of watched I think that's or walked lovely. along the way. Do you, um, and I bet they don't get caught in the vacuum. Nope. Nope. They're bigger okay. than that. So I have, um, this last one, I should be clear, I don't find these everywhere in the house, <laughs> but I have, but like they, they represent the pandemic to me. And I guess, again, I'm really kind of on like the, our family during the pandemic. So, um, my son, Cole, um, who is 14 has set out, uh, over the last couple of months to try every fast food chicken sandwich. Um, that was available mm-hmm, in the Twin Cities area. And our family has a standard favorite, which is Chick-fil-A. We don't really live near a Chick-fil-A, but it's very consistent. And that is one of his like criteria is he wants like the, like there's the tastiness factor, there's the cost factor, and then he wants consistency. So he has to, each sandwich has been tried at least twice. So, um, he had had, I, apparently a couple of years ago, um, he, someone had taken him to Popeyes. And there's not that many Popeyes in the cities, but somebody had taken him to get a Popeyes. I think he just had like the chicken nuggety type things. Anyway, he was pushing us and pushing us like, you know, I want to go to Popeyes. I want to go to Popeyes. And we don't live near a Popeyes. Um, and so we kept putting off like the Popeye, um, 
trip. And so we had Chick-fil-A and then he had Wendy's has a chicken sandwich and um, he likes Culver's. Culver's ranked relatively high. McDonald's has a buttermilk chicken sandwich, which also um, was in his top five. He is not a huge Canes fan. He just thinks it's a bit overrated in his words. But after a baseball game this fall, um, his fall ball league where he had a double header on Sunday and he said to me, mom, I looked and we are just like a mile away from a Popeye's. So I took him to Popeye's and I myself got the chicken sandwich. And again, always having been very much just a dedicated, I'm happy with Chick-fil-A. I don't need to branch out, but he's like, you got to have a Popeye's sandwich too. So we got two Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Then we drove to a park and we ate them in the parking lot and like, like game changer. It was the most amazing chicken sandwich fried chicken that I, that I have ever had. And it was crazy because like for my husband's birthday, pandemic birthday, you should do a podcast on pandemic birthdays. Um, and how we, how we experience them differently. But he wanted, he wanted fried chicken from Revival, which has a location in St. Paul, Minneapolis, upscale, upscale Southern, upscale fried chicken. And it's like we, we, we kind of put out a, a somewhat pretty penny to go get like the upscale fried chicken. We usually go there physically for his birthday. It wasn't open um, in that capacity this year. And I'm sitting there eating this Popeye's chicken sandwich in my car, in a parking lot, in a park with Cole. And I was like, why do we, why do we ever pay? Why does anyone pay to have chicken at Revival? Um, because it was so delicious. And now we have Popeye's chicken sandwiches every other week because we're actually only like six miles away from a Popeye's. So we literally go every other week on Sundays usually because Chick-fil-A is closed and we all get, you can get, you, you have to order it online, but you can actually get a family pack of the chicken sandwiches. You can't just drive up and order that. They won't give it to you. You have to order it online with the app. They are like, it just will blow your mind. They're so good. So um, I feel like earlier in 2020, there was a whole big news story about like a chicken shortage of Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Really? Like they were rationing them because oh. there was a shortage. So listener, when you're researching, uh, like say it's 2030 as you're listening to this or yeah. 2050 and you're researching, research the chicken sandwich shortage, shortage of, 2020. of 2020. I mean, koalas were burning in forest chickens sandwiches were in shortage and then we no had kidding. the global pandemic. I did not know that. I well, mean, we yeah. just we just kind of started the Popeye's thing in um, early October. But it is we are not giving that up. I mean, it is delicious. So <laughs> the pandemic has taken so much, but it's also given and and our family has received the gift of the Popeye's chicken sandwich. And then your final item. Well, yes. So this kind of is how I'll round things out. And, and you know, listeners, I am going to get just a little philosophical on us because I As do we think, expect you to. Mm -hmm. I think one of the challenges of the pandemic has been how we deal with boredom. And I don't think boredom is necessarily a bad thing. I think no. it's good for us to be bored because then we come up with different ways to use our minds um, or different activities to do with our family. Or, you know, you decide I want to rank chicken sandwiches yeah. and I'm going to be really it, scientific. And boredom is a luxury of sorts, is it not? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Kierkegaard has a lovely essay on boredom. Um, and talks about crop rotation as a way to deal with boredom. It's in either or. So maybe that'll be a future session. I think I'm beginning searching. to understand why you and I would often be, say, like sitting in the cafeteria at lunch alone together. Okay. <laughs> well, but you thought we were going to talk about friends That's and then true. I came That's to study. So, um, 
But anyways, so one of the ways that I dealt with boredom was teaching myself some watercolor painting techniques. It started because our colleague Amanda Hamilton had to learn how to take put painting tutorials for her color theory class on video. And and so I started watching her videos and thought, well, hey, she's teaching her students how to make a color wheel. I'll make a color wheel. And so I spent quite a lot of my pandemic doing watercolor painting. Not that I'm good at it by any means, but it has been really fun to just learn a new hobby, something to do when I'm bored or and therapeutic, I bet. Therapeutic, exactly. So I would put... Um, a watercolor brush into the time capsule. Well, Sarah Shady, there is no one that I would rather paint and eat chicken with while watching other people play disc golf or throw their little frisbee things or whatever they are than you. Agreed. Agreed. And our friendship has weathered this pandemic storm quite well. (laughs) Exactly. So we will say goodbye to 2020, but we will will. not say goodbye to each other. We will not. And let's just raise a glass and toast to not ever having to have our friendship endure a pandemic again. Hopefully. How about All right, Sam, what has been the thing that has brought us through this pandemic this year? What has united us all as humankind? Movies. Mm-hmm. Movies and TV shows. Sitting I, in front of screens. <laughs> yes, my screen time has just, it's embarrassing how high it is. Uh, so we, well, not me, but you, have started a podcast um, kind of serving a purpose of walking through some incredible films uh, and and uh, especially in this moment when we are all at home with our streaming services. Yeah, this was dreamt up in the heart of the fear of the beginnings of quarantine and thinking yes. I am going to be sitting around and I need to, how do I keep myself from watching just episodes of The Office ad nauseum? And I, so I reached out to uh, the person I know who is most interesting and interested in film, uh, Barrett Fisher, one of the deans here at Bethel, and I asked him, I was sitting in a hotel room in Arizona in March, and I, I emailed him and said, would you have any interest in doing a weekly movie pod um, where you just recommend a movie each week as if I was walking into a video store and you were the clerk, and I asked you to recommend a movie each week and I would watch it and then we would talk about it? Yes. And here we are, 37 movies later, uh, I feel like I have tricked Barrett into just giving me <laughs> film education. It is, it's, this is one of my favorite projects. It's one of the things I'm mm. most excited to do, uh, to do every week is to watch the films that Barrett talks about and to have my mind blown time and time and time again. He's brilliant. And so was the idea of this podcast. And I love that it wasn't just about, you know, how do we live in isolation in the spring? But as we all came back to Bethel, you guys continued in this whole process. And uh, I know that throughout the week, you and I will talk about, um, you know, what movie you watched with Barrett and what you loved about it. And it's like spilling into your everyday life. So let's go to Sam and Barrett from Video Store. Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry. Today we are adding items to our 2020 time capsule. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. 
Barrett, we are reflecting on the year 2020 um, and the year 2020 with our eye on film. Um, so when you think about 2020, what do you think about? What do you want to put in the time capsule? Well, I think it, you have to talk about film and COVID-19, right? And what, what happened with COVID-19? And COVID-19 essentially uh, prevented uh, film the film world from having any blockbusters. Uh, films that were antici highly anticipated that kind of landed with a thud like Tenet or didn't land at all. Um, so for me, the significance of 2020 for film is it really is raising questions about what's the future of theaters uh, and what's the future of theatrical distribution. Because uh, for a number of years, we've been seeing more and more streaming services like Netflix and Amazon uh, getting into filmmaking. So, for example, Manchester by the Sea uh, famously was a was a, a streamed film uh, or a film by a streaming uh, studio. But I think the significant thing right now is the announcement last week by Warner uh, that they were going to release all of their films in 21 simultaneously on online uh, streaming and in theaters, uh, and they use uh, HBO Plus. So. Christopher Nolan, the great director, famously said something like, uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of directors that went to bed at night thinking they were working for the greatest studio, uh, film studio in the world, and they woke up realizing they were working for the worst streaming service. So, I, I, and this practice, which is called windowing, you know, where you have uh, the films appearing both on the small screen and the big screen simultaneously, uh, it's very controversial. A lot of people are saying that it had to happen at some point. Uh, and uh, it may cost uh, it may cost somebody his job, um, or it may turn out to be a genius move. So I, I think it's it's part of a long history of theaters having to adjust to changing technology. You know, whether you go back to the '50s and in order to compete with television, theaters had went big screen, uh, Technicolor, uh, uh, novelties like Smellorama. Uh, and even in the 70s, when I was uh, when I was watching films as a teenager, Earthquake came out and they shook the seats. I mean, theaters have to be driven into innovation, and this is going to uh, this is going to uh, force theaters to find a way to make the theater going experience something that is worth people leaving their homes for. But I don't think we're putting this toothpaste back in the tube. I think windowing is going to be the wave of the of the future i'm not sure theaters are going away but they are going to have to change one uh, one critic says they have to be more like alamo draft house uh where you go to the theater and you get you get a meal you get something to drink and you have a you have a kind of a full-blown experience you're not just sitting in a seat eating salty popcorn i love that i that's what i that's what i see is uh i think we're looking at a at a fundamental change in how people, uh, how movies are made and distributed and how people receive them. I love that, uh, that idea of putting, uh, so, so I will say, I will encapsulate what you said. So what we're going to put in the time capsule and we'll see how well this ages is a 2021 HBO max subscription. And we'll see if that's a good thing to put in there or a bad thing to put in there. Because yeah, I think about this year, you know, and as I was, as I was thinking about 2020 in films, I think about all the stuff that I watched at home, um, that sort of came to me instantly. So I got a Spike Lee movie this year, the, uh, the five bloods I got, uh, we got David Fincher's mank. We got, uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things or ending mm -hmm. this. Like these were some of my favorite movies from this. These are movies I really loved this year. And it was like, I watched them and they, they felt like events, but they felt like events that happened 
only to me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, 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 it, so, so that, and that's very different than what I would normally have. Like I, I haven't seen tenant and, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and normally tenant was, uh, coming into this year, tenant was something I just had earmarked for, okay, I can't wait this summer. Nolan's going to come out with the movie. I'm going to go to the theater. I'm going to watch it. I might watch it a second time. And, you know, instead that, uh, that didn't happen. Um, so here's what I'm going to put into the, the time capsule. I was thinking about, I was trying to think of, is there a pre COVID movie thing from 2020 that I would want to put in here? Um, and what I'm going to put in is actually a 2019 film, but it's, uh, it is the kind of the darling of the 2020 Oscars. And that is the movie parasite. I think most people probably didn't see parasite until 2020, um, because it had a big push leading up to the Oscars and then after the Oscars and, uh, the Academy Awards has a, uh, a long tradition of not getting it right. And that's actually one of the great things about the, I mean, one of the best things that can happen to a movie is to not win best picture because then it, you know, it, it makes it this kind of underdog. And if you look at most years, what won best picture, it's often not the movie that stands the test of time. Um, and I, going into this, this year's Oscars, there were three movies, uh, that I really loved. I loved, uh, Greta Gerwig's little women. I loved and, and a movie that has um, improved over time. I've watched it a few times this year. I loved Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I loved the movie Parasite. Um, and and actually, just watching the Oscars this year and watching uh, Bong Joon Ho, uh, I think give at least three speeches at the Oscars. And when he won Best Director, he gave his real speech, assuming he wasn't going to go back up there. And then he got up, you know, for the for the last. Uh, for best picture and was sort of like I sort of said all I was going to say and you know he acknowledged people like Martin Scorsese in his uh, director speech and things like that so um, so I'm going to put the movie Parasite in there and I would say if you haven't seen Parasite I think a lot of people still haven't Um, it's really a phenomenal film and I I, I love the idea of um, non-English language non-American cinema um, you know winning the winning the top awards and and really grabbing the attention of people and i think that's a a, a movie that is uh very very late uh 20 teens uh in lots and lots of ways and it's a, a movie that's that's definitely worth the watch so i'm going to put that into the into the time capsule sounds great i agree with you it's a great film and i was so happy to see it get uh, recognition even though as you said the oscars don't always get this right 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 all right barrett Thanks for uh, joining us and adding to the time capsule. If you want to hear us talk more about movies as we enter into 2021, check us out in the video store. And here's to a better new year. All right, next up is uh, a podcast that hmm, is familiar to you and I. We have spent many hours of our lives on it. I got to say, this is the podcast that is the most work day in, day out. We put the most research into this. Surprisingly, it is a lot of work. And I think it's worth it. I think I've been fascinated by this project. This is a podcast that started in 2020. It grew out of a, it's it is a, an actual spin-off of another podcast this spun out of an episode of tweet victory mm-hmm. i think entitled you keep using the word bend like it's a thing people do yes and in that episode i challenged you to watch avatar the last airbender and you did it yeah and, and here, then we made a podcast out of it right here we are 25 episodes later um we're well into season two of the show and i gotta say i've enjoyed I've enjoyed it every step of the way. So let's take a listen to Avatar with Academics.
Avatar with Academics. I am Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we are here for this time capsule episode of the Channel 3900 Podcast Network. Now, what we're doing for the Avatar podcast is we are each going to pick a character to say which character from Avatar The Last Airbender do we want to put into the time capsule to say this is the character that I would most want to spend endure maybe the year mm. 2020 and with. learn from yes yeah we both pick people who can teach us a lot and we acknowledge that some people listening to this holiday special won't really have a big background with who these characters are so uh we have some of the big ideas about who they are um what they value in life that mm-hmm. i think that anyone can learn from right yeah yeah so who, who are you putting in the time capsule i am putting in uh my main man boomy we all listeners of the show know that I I have um, an affection to Boomy. Um, he's a he's an older gentleman. I think a hundred plus years old. I think one hundred and ten. I would say. Yeah, uh, and um, he is a master of of many disciplines, and he's a teacher of the main character Aang. But I like him for the year twenty twenty because I think he tells us to learn from things that are difficult or learn from things that are new um, and, and kind of shape them into what we we need in that moment. So one of the quotes that he says to, to Aang are, uh, look around you, what do you see? Instead of seeing what they want you to see, you got to open your brain to the possibilities. In this scene, he's talking about um, a mail shoot that could be made into the slide. And what I like about that is this year has very much been one of change and uncomfortable change, not happy change. Like I'm somebody who will love, I love jumping onto new places, new um, situations. This one has felt dark for us, right? But I like the idea of take take the moment that you're in, live in that moment and find fun and find possibility in it. Well, and what I love about even that example you gave about using the mail shoot as a slide, it's like he is the type of person, he's probably the type of person who invented the idea of like a blanket fort. Yes. And it's just like, all right, we're stuck inside here. Let's transform where we're at. Let's let's do, let's see the world in a different way. Yeah. And I also like that um, when he's saying this, it's when he's young and he's talking to his friend and it feels like a very mundane kind of boring day. And he shape, shapes it into something actually joyful. And I think that um, joy is something that has been hard to capture this year for a lot of people. But at the same time, I think it's moments of boredom or moments of loss where joy is its brightest. Um, so I even think about like starting out this year with a uh, loss in my family or many of us who have experienced loss um, throughout this pandemic to be like, it is hard and it is uncomfortable but um, one kind of thing I, I keep coming back to uh, that I wrote on a walk this, I'm quoting myself, but I wrote it on a walk this summer was joy in its brightest form lives in the edges of sorrow. And I think that's something that Boomy would likely say, right? That like when we are in want or when we have experienced like loss, um, that it's okay to sit and wait in that. And you can actually learn from it. And you might even have some really bright, beautiful moments that you wouldn't have had otherwise, right? Like we we value those things that are mundane uh, when we're in want. I don't know. I, so I, I think like Boomy. Yeah, I love him. He's the best. Who did you choose? I got to put my main man, the dragon <laughs> of the West. 
Iro. Our podcast is a is a, a deeply Iro positive podcast. We love the old like sage you yeah. know, wisdom of these yeah. two folks. So let's think about Iro and how he would endure the mm. year 2020. Iroh spends most of the first season of, of, of Avatar on a boat. Making tea. Yeah, like making tea. But like he doesn't have always have places to go, right? Right. Um, I also... So 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 like that actually embodies sort of quarantine a little bit too. Like you're just sort of here. Yep. You got to make the most out of what you're doing. And he's and he's surrounded by people who are um impatient. Right. Who like need something to happen now, but he's like things will come in time, right? He is the embodiment of of uh, to, to to borrow a line from Tom Haverford and Don Amigo of treat yourself right <laughs> yes like like that is the I, Iro's happy to do that you know Iro's happy to get a massage Iro's happy to sit in the hot tub and just sort of take things in right so mm. uh, and and I think he finds wisdom in that he finds wisdom in letting things happen and sort of paying attention to what's happening not unlike what you're saying about Boomy right mm-hmm. like don't get so worked up about everything that seems like a catastrophe and a tragedy in the moment. Yeah, and it's okay to feel that, right? But like um but it, like it's okay that tragedy and things happen. Like they will happen. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to feel and to grieve, but um but it um, I don't know. Yeah. Another great thing that Iroh's good at is occupying your time <laughs> when you're in these places, right? Yes. Music night. Right, Iroh loves creative. He's creative. Loves about it. music night on the ship. So I mean, just as if you haven't seen the show, this is like a a totalitarian fascist state, and they're <laughs> imperialist. They're, yeah, this yes. navy, right? And and what do they do when they're out at sea? Is they they typically have music night where everybody gets up and sings, plays and instruments, they dances. dance together. Yeah, he's coming up with activities to keep people sane. And are they a little yes. kooky sometimes? Sure, they are. But not different from making a male shoot into a slide. Absolutely. Like I really love, and uh, as somebody who's like in my late twenties, and I feel like everything is a grind, right? And like I'm always trying to move, move, move to what's next. It's really nice to sit and listen from somebody who's lived that life and says like it's not worth the, it's not worth running and running and running. Another thing that 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 Ira likes, a second thing, he loves a bargain, right? Oh. He would be a fun person to go shopping with, yes. you know, as if we're in the holiday season, you know, you just you had to you have to get through this, you have to get gifts for people. Ira loves a bargain. He loves to shop. Yeah. He loves to see possibilities when he's going through. He seems like a thrift store shopper and that, somebody who would yes. love to do that. That and somebody who would appreciate local art, mm-hmm. you know, like his gifts would be like very specific, sometimes weird, weird, but like meaningful for the person. I think he would like really think about it yeah i like the idea of uh both of them are kind of like wait and listen mm-hmm. right wait and listen before striking like wait and listen before moving and the third reason why Iro's going to get you through a pandemic you know what he loves to do more than anything else play a board game oh this is a this is a cartoon that invented its own board game that they play within it called pie show like and that's just that's how he what he loves to do and and i think he sees the world through pie show so like yeah like Iro is the guy I want sitting with me. We'll sip tea. We'll play a board game. We'll listen to some music. We'll perform some music. We'll do all those things. We'll end it with a hot tub and a massage. Yes. I'm in. We're like, where Boomy would make you laugh. I think Iro would just be like chill. Yeah. Right? You could just sit and breathe. And and, and anybody who knows me knows I'm the least Iro person in the world. So like <laughs> I need an Iro friend is what I need. I think we both chose people that are that we would learn a lot from. Yes. <laughs> we yes. would need. So um, as we put them into the time capsule, we're also going to try to learn their lessons. Yes. And some parting words that I have here come from Boomy. And he says, I'll see you when the time is right. 
Doesn't that feel like great wisdom for 2020? It absolutely I'll see you does. when it's going to work. Because we can't always see people when we want to, but we'll see them when the time is right. Beautiful. Annie, that is all the time that we have. If you are a fan of Avatar, The Last Air, Airbender, the TV show, you should be listening to this podcast. We go step-by-step step through every episode in so minute detail, <laughs> it will drive you crazy. But it's really interesting. Uh, if you're new to this and maybe you haven't watched the show it's really great and it's mm. really interesting and you can dismiss it as a kid's show, but my goodness, this conquers some huge themes and really wrestles with them. So uh, you can go to our website, avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com if you want to catch up on old episodes, if you want to interact with the show. And you can watch Avatar on Netflix. You absolutely can. If you're a Netflix subscriber, there's no additional cost to watch Avatar. <laughs> um, we will be back in 2021. We're just getting started on season two of, the, of Avatar The Last Airbender, and we can't wait to have you join us on this journey. Sports. Gotta love them. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> I uh, I uh, am not a big sports fan, um, as is probably obvious. However, I have spent quite a long time with this next podcast listening to their breakdown of current events in uh, sports and athletic world. Right. And I think thinking about the 252 as a sports podcast, if we if you just say it's a sports podcast, it's sort of underselling what no, they're doing, right? I would they're, not be listening if that was the case. Right. They're looking at sports through the lens of politics and history. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about this pod is that this was dreamt up in preparation for the course History and Political Science 252, which was taught this spring and was interrupted by... <laughs> COVID yes. uh, and, and sort of kept going through that. So uh, in January of 2019, Chris Gertz and I were in London walking through um, uh, walking through one of the big parks in London, uh, Hyde, Hyde Park. Yeah, we were walking through Hyde Park and then through um, Kensington Park. And we sort of dreamt up the idea for this podcast. And it sort of it really came to fruition this year. This is a wildly successful pod. Um, and we occasionally will drop. I mean, there's not a lot of sports happening right now. So there's really <laughs> less to talk about. Occasionally, we'll drop episodes of this. But my hope is that it, leading up to spring of 2022, when the course will be taught again, that we'll start to revisit some of these questions, mm-hmm. revisit some of these ideas. As we mentioned earlier, this has the most downloaded episode uh, of the season, the Greg Jennings episode from back in January. But let's take a listen to the hosts of the 252 as they bring, as they put three sporting moments or three sporting events from 2020 into the time. I'm so excited. You are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. It is possible. Live from the waning days of AD 2020, it's the 252 Sports Talk Radio is done by academics like me, Chris Garrett, and him, Chris Moore, and him, Sam Mulberry. Wow, we're getting better at this. Uh, <laughs> Jens, it's, I think it goes without saying that's been an odd year for sports in general. It's 
been an odd year for this podcast in particular, because when we started the year, we were gearing up for uh, the course, uh, History and Politics and Sports, that Chris Moore and I taught for the first time. This podcast was formed simply to help us talk through that class. Lo and behold, we had a class to teach. We kept doing the podcast a little bit. We had 70 people, Chris, crowded into the choir room at Bethel. Can you remember mm -hmm. back what that was like? Can you remember what the crowd was like? Oh, man. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, mid-March, things kind of fell apart. We moved online. This podcast became a weekly part of our suddenly fully remote version of the course. And here we are. The course won't be taught again for a year and a half. Um, but we've still done a podcast once in a while. And so we thought we'd contribute to the overall Channel 3900 uh, time capsule for 2020. Now, normally, we end the 252 by recommending 3 to c We each pick an upcoming sport event of some sort uh, that we recommend people pay attention to. So for our time capsule, we're going to tweak this a little bit and do three to have seen. What are three events that we would recommend you go back to if you wanted to get some sense of what the year in sports was like in 2020? Chris Mori, Wallace, lead us off, so you'll start. Yeah, I have, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one, I'm already breaking the rules. And so the, the, my three to, three to have seen is three to have not seen. For the first time since World War I, Ohio State and Michigan did not play their annual football contest. Mm. And this hurts me in a way that I can't describe to you. Um, there is a, uh, so much of our lives are governed by, uh, by certain events happening in certain times. The Super Bowl happens um, in late January. Uh, we know uh, when we, we know spring is around the corner. We know Easter has come because not just because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but because of the masters. Um, we have these ways of sort of plugging sports events into the calendars of our lives. And they, and they, they herald certain seasons. And because the um, and I want to be very clear and very partisan here because the University of Michigan did not pass their COVID test um, and more and uh, and too high a percentage of their players and coaches and trainers um, had tested positive. They were not eligible to take the field against Ohio State, which was ready to pound them into the earth. Um, and so, um, not only did this have this had several ramifications. One, like I said. It's been over a hundred years since these two teams didn't have an annual football contest. And there's a lot of culture built around that. There's a lot of events built around that. I've talked about some of those in class, some of the almost sort of proto um, civic religion kinds of things built around that. This is a year without Christmas for the civic religion of Ohio State football. Now, it was also going to have real political consequences because the Big Ten, to start off this COVID season, had said a team must complete six games to be eligible for the Big Ten championship. And Ohio State is sitting at 5-0. and And so midway through this process of once realizing that Michigan would not be taking the field and Ohio State would not have that game to end their regular season, the Big Ten hurriedly met and then revoked the rule they created just a few months earlier to allow Ohio State to take the field against Northwestern this uh, coming week for the Big Ten championship and a possible berth in the college football playoffs. This is all about money. This is all about the uh, the prestige of the of the of the league and and the and the revenue that will generate. And even though my team stands to potentially make the college football playoffs, I don't feel a bit good about it. This this whole season has been just a nightmare. So let me ask you this, Chris, as a pretty serious Ohio State fan, if they do go through and beat, say, Alabama for the national championship, will you count this in the overall total of the Buckeyes? 
You bet. <laughs> um, okay. Oh yeah, I am, I am absolutely Kool Aid drinking Scarlet and Gray. And if we somehow manage to make the college football playoffs by beating Northwestern um, and getting a better track record than Texas A and M, and then go on to win what would undoubtedly be a couple of huge upsets, probably over Notre Dame and then probably over Alabama, um, you better believe that I will absolutely count that as a legitimate national championship win. Despite everything I just said, I am fully capable of being self delusional. Fair enough. That's that's a legit response. Uh, Sam Albury, your second. All right. So uh, my three to have seen, um, I thought about uh, a highlight from the 252. So I was telling Chris about this uh, off air, but the most downloaded podcast from the Channel 3900 Podcast Network in the year 2020 is an episode of the 252, which goes all the way back to January when we, uh, we interviewed uh, Super Bowl champion Greg Jennings. Um, so that that's the most popular episode on the whole network. We did about 200 and, uh, 216 episodes this year, and that was the most popular episode. Um, but I'm not going to pick that one. Uh, instead, I want to do something else that's self-referential. This is a three to have seen that twice connects with other, with other three to sees, right? So this is the whole thing turning back in on itself. Um, and it's also going to be college football related. And it's also going to be personal because Chris grew up rooting for Ohio State. Um, because I grew up in Minnesota and Minnesota football, especially my childhood, was terrible. And because I grew up Catholic in southern Minnesota, my go-to college football team uh, was Notre Dame. And I almost went to Notre Dame. Like that's that's That was uh, on my short list of, of undergraduate schools. So my three to have seen comes from November 7th, 2020. Uh, it's a game played in South Bend, Indiana, between then number one Clemson at seven and zero versus number four Notre Dame uh, at six and zero. And this was Chris Moore's three to see on episode thirty-five of the two five two. Now, the reason that I picked this isn't just because it's a great Notre Dame Clemson game, and it is like a total instant classic. It was an amazing double overtime game, uh, but because this ties into just the changes and compromises and sort of questions about meaning of some of the results of sporting events in this year. For one thing, uh, Notre Dame played as an ACC football team in 2020. Notre Dame has never been in a football conference, but this year they were in the ACC. Next year, they won't be in the ACC. So for a, a one-time uh, one thing, they, they were part of the ACC. Uh, and uh, the other thing that marked this game, and this is part of why Chris Moore put it uh, on three to see, is that the uh, Clemson quarterback presumptive number one pick in next year in next year's NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence didn't play because he tested positive for COVID-19. Um, so because of that, uh, Notre Dame, I would argue Notre Dame probably had more of a shot. These two teams, we should say uh, we're recording this uh, in mid-December. So this weekend, these two teams are going to meet again in the ACC championship game. Trevor Lawrence will be on the field this time. And even though Notre Dame beat Clemson uh, in double overtime, Clemson is a double-digit favorite over Notre Dame this weekend because of Trevor Lawrence. Now, the other connection here that I love is that uh, the quarterback for Clemson, Trevor Lawrence's backup, uh, was DJ Uwe Ungalale. Now, do you remember DJ Uwe Ungalale, Chris? Not even uh, a little bit. If you go back to the 252 episode, uh, num episode 18 from October 25th, 2019, the episode where we had Steve Johnson on, on my three to see, I said you should watch number one, Mater D, uh, the number one football, high school football team in the country against number two, St. John's Bosco. Uh, DJ Uwe Ungalale was the quarterback for St. John's Bosco. They lost to Mater D, but I said that the two quarterbacks in that game were 
the two top quarterbacks in the country. Uh, DJ was going to Clemson, and I'm blanking on the uh, Mater D quarterback is now at Alabama. So these are these are stars to come. So you got to full circle it back. The game was amazing. <laughs> I watched it with my son. He it was this was one of the first college football games that he was excited about that he didn't have a stake in like he he didn't have a team but he's just like this is a big matchup so he and i watched the whole game uh late into the night this is also the day that uh the election was called for joe biden um so a lot was so actually mbc preempted the game to have biden's acceptance speech so it's a very 2020 uh, event um so notre dame wins 47 40 in double overtime dj ui ungalale has 439 passing yards, two passing TDs, one rushing TD. It's a phenomenal game. If you want to go back and watch a game, this was back and forth, comebacks, last-second touchdowns. It was great. But it also has the – and this will be my last thing I'll say. This amazing game, this amazing contest. But does it even matter? Like, they're going to play this weekend, and it's like, yeah, but Trevor Lawrence didn't play, so I guess Notre Dame counts that as a win, but eh, we'll see this weekend if it mattered at all. Wow. <clears throat> well, that was the 252 version of a black hole as time and space collapsed in on itself. <laughs> that was great. Sorry, I've been watching the theory of everything, so I've been thinking about Stephen Hawking. Uh, well, my three to see is going to be football as well, and I feel bad about that because we didn't plan this. We actually like other sports probably better than football. I'm, I'm surprised basketball, baseball, and soccer haven't come up, given what we normally talk about here. But as things have worked out, football is the name of the game. Um, but I'll be the NFL. Now, I had two that I was going to pick from, and I was going to try to counterbalance the tone that you two had set. And I'm not really sure what to take away from what you two had just talked about. <laughs> so the, the first I was going to offer was later in November of 2020 when the Broncos and the Saints played. And the starting quarterback for the victorious Saints was basically a tight end, Taysom Hill. They won 31-3 to because the Broncos, because of lax mask-wearing precautions, had no quarterback. They elevated a practice squad wide receiver who had last played quarterback in 2017 in college. He went one for nine, 13 yards, two interceptions, multiple sacks. Taysom Hill had last played quarterback really in 2016 in college. <laughs> That's the farce of the NFL in 2020. But I want to end on a different note, which is to say – when you do take it all away, even in 2020, even in the middle of a pandemic, um, take away people like us, take away the capitalists who are monetizing this. It's still about people with very special gifts who have worked very hard, overcome a great deal of adversity with the support of other people to realize their dreams. And I think mm -hmm. the most moving moment of the whole year was actually maybe the NFL draft. And I think I even talked about this and Sam could tell us the episode number, but I did watch the NFL draft because it was actually on ABC. And so for once I could see it, and it was kind of strange because it was basically hosted by Roger Goodell from his man cave in his Westchester County mansion <laughs> wearing business casual. Um, and then like screens of fans watching on Zoom, right? And so it seemed ridiculous. And there's a lot that's ridiculous about the NFL draft, but what was really moving was not only did you see the response of the players, which is often emotional, but your camera is inside basically their family's living room, surrounded by parents and aunts and uncles and siblings and coaches and people who had got them there, who had driven them to practice, who had celebrated with them and mourned with them. And um, it, it was a legitimately moving thing to watch. And, and you see that for some athletes, like they do get to get to that level. Now, a lot of those players aren't even on NFL rosters right now, right? It's a cruel sport, but that is at the heart of sports. Now, the flip side of that, is that hope and that emotion you see 
that's what the NFL cashes in on, right? And that's what the NCAA exploits in order to get the labor that it uses to make billions of dollars, right? Because it, it, for all those people we saw, it, there are others put in just as much work who don't get there. And, and their labor is used by teams like Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State for multi-billion dollar TV contracts. And so like, as usual, I feel conflicted even about pretty joyous things, but you know, that's 2020 in a nutshell as well. Okay, well, there's three to have seen. Uh, I'm sure there are others in other sports that our listeners can supply, but thanks for listening to us this whole year. Chris, as usual, you get to wrap us up. On behalf of my colleagues here at the 252, thanks for listening. And to our back in your feet sometime in the future, the Royals. Now, for the moment you've all been waiting for, the best podcast <laughs> voted this year <laughs> in this entire channel is Tweet Victory. Now, I need to say, it may not have actually been voted the best, but it, it, is, it is the most something, which is, it is the most. This is the, this is the podcast which had the most episodes this year. This is the one that we drop as often as we possibly can. How many weeks are in a year? Oh, man. Uh, 52. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, dropped, we dropped 46 episodes this year wow. of Tweet Victory. I don't that means I we be, don't miss it very often. Should I be proud or sad? I don't know. I will say we definitely didn't get awarded best because um, this feels kind of like an award show in itself, us introducing all these different podcasts and as we know the hosts are never winning any awards that's right so <laughs> i will say this is uh this is one of my favorites to do because it's always short in fact our time capsule segment is roughly the length of an episode of tweet victory yeah so in some ways it is the grandfather of this podcast you're listening to right now a lot of really short in get in get out talk about some ideas um this is it's it's i will say annie it's one of my uh, favorite podcast to do each week because it's so much fun and because it's the one podcast where when we hit play, I have no idea where it's going to go. And really, uh, what you hear is what we talk about all the time anyway. Like you could start us, you could start recording you and me anywhere and like usually the conversations go like this. Yes. Am I right? Yes. And and I'm always amazed how much stuff gets created out <laughs> of an episode where you know we might start with one topic, but by the time we get to six or seven minutes later, we have created or pitched this entirely new idea. The number of podcasts, this, this is a podcast that has given birth to other podcasts. This is yes. a podcast that has created things that has, as uh, yes, so it is a very generative podcast in that way. Is it a good podcast? Uh, eh. Jury's out. Yeah, yeah. You that, decide. That is for the courts to decide. And you, you, my friends, you are the courts. So let's give a listen to the time capsule episode of Tweet Victory. Absent-mindedly tried to cover my mug with a bottle cap today and my students saw please send help. This week I've been told I look like Sharon Stone, Miley Cyrus and Ashton Kutcher. The trifecta. I just snored but was wide awake is this aging? Husband said I wear my confidence like Michael Scott wears his favorite jeans on Fridays. Welcome to Tweet Victory with your hosts at Annie underscore Berglund and at CWC Radio. Welcome to Tweet Victory. I am at CWC Radio and I'm joined as always by... At Annie underscore Berglund. Annie, we are here not to talk about the Tweet of the Week, but to sort of sum up this year and to add some things to the time capsule. I set the timer for five minutes. As usual. Yes. Um, 
should I go first putting something yeah. in the time capsule? So what we decided is we were going to put, because our episodes are short, we are going to put an episode each into the uh, uh, into the time capsule. Because so we really love ourselves, too. We do, yes. Yeah, we, we want to preserve ourselves. <laughs> this is pretty narcissistic, this whole thing. So I am going to put episode 71 of Tweet Victory. Okay. what's it's it called? It's called uh, A Celebrity Cameo. Huh? Uh, and this is one of the most special uh, podcasts that we did this whole year. So we had two big celebrities, uh, in my mind, on the network this year. We had Greg Jennings uh, in in January, right. Super Bowl champion Greg Jennings. But on Tweet Victory, episode 71, Celebrity Cameo, we, I kid you not, had one of my personal artistic heroes, a comedian named Chris Gethard. In a sense, on the show with us. He was talking to us. He didn't know he was on the show. Um, <laughs> Annie uh, purchased a gift for me, which was a 90-second cameo video of Chris Gethard talking to me. Um, it's one of my favorite things. Like, I was in... I was fighting back tears uh, uh, listening to... He, he's one of the funniest, most inspirational, most, like... Um, comedically punk rock people in the world one of the most open-hearted people in the world mm. uh he's a, a genuine inspiration to me as i think about stuff that uh that i want to do stuff that i want to make um and it was it was actually just genuinely heartwarming um i don't know that it's one of our funniest episodes but if you want to hear me deeply moved on a podcast by a by uh one of my heroes two of my heroes <laughs> annie Berglund and chris gethard so i'm gonna put that one in uh you can go back Onto the podcast feed. Uh, this was back in October, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen to it. It's September, October. Uh, it's really great. I will. Yes, it is very. It will warm your heart. And uh, Chris Gethard is hilarious in that little 90 second. It's embedded. We put it into yep. the actual episode. So you can listen to it there. Um, and I also like that you had no idea. I had until none. I read aloud the description I sent to him, and then you realized based on like hints from the description who it yes. was. So you just, I mean, if anything, listen to that moment because it's really funny when Sam realizes who it is. Great episode. That was like one of my tops, too. All right. What are you putting into the time capsule? Okay. Uh, I cheated. Um, I'm mostly putting in one, but like maybe have these on another one. So uh, the f- they both have a couple things in common, though. I think my favorite episodes are ones where we play like games out of the blue Mm -hmm. um so both of these have games and they both feature one of our most uh frequent guests Mm -hmm. on this podcast um so i think we couldn't have a a time capsule without him and that's at dr chris moore that's right uh so chris has come on our show a couple times and it's always hilarious i laugh so hard when he's here i mean i like you two talking together um so the the main one i liked was diamond jubilee which was a surprise i didn't know that chris was going to be on um and we played a game that we invented on the show this was episode 75 yes um so yes episode 75 um the diamond jubilee and it's based on an episode or a show we made a couple episodes before Mm -hmm. Or a game, rather, called a bow threshold, where we checked um, how many words people's uh, Wikipedia pages had and compared it to how many Bo Obama, uh, the Obama's presidential dog. Right. So, so, so we created in in episode, I believe it's episode seventy three, is titled the Bow Threshold. Right. Is where we on the spot came up with a game show that I mean. So when we. Just to pull back the curtain, when we hit record, we had no plans of creating a game oh, show. we have no plans ever. Right. and But by the end, we had pitched a, an entire game show that then on episode 75, I ambushed Annie with playing the game show that I built. Uh, and, and I think it's 
18 or 20 different celebrities. We, yes. we compare and guess their Wikipedia word counts to that of Bo Obama. Do they pass the Bo threshold? I also think it's a great episode if you haven't really listened to us before, which is like obviously um, Most a of you. major <laughs> fault of yours for not oh, listening to us. Oh, you were doing it that way. <laughs> I was going to say, judging by the downloads, you haven't. <laughs> um, but if you want to listen to episode 75, we also reference so many other episodes within it. That's because right. each of the celebrities that we compare to Bo um, are based on different episodes we've yeah, done. It's super self-referential. Yes. It's great. So uh, it'll just make you want more. And then the second one that pairs well with it is uh, episode 39, Heads Up Mando, where uh, you, me, and Chris play uh heads up which is like an app on my phone um and we have a star wars themed one and it's so fun because i don't know anything about star wars and you two know so much about star wars um so i'd suggest listening to that you'll hear some great sound effects coming from chris moore too speaking of sound effects we just heard the timer so it's time for us to wrap up this episode if you enjoyed what you're listening to you should follow at andy underscore berglund at twitter.com um the conceit of tweet victory is we pick one tweet of hers for the week and we let it take us wherever it takes us it's the closest thing to improv i'll ever do it's not always funny But it's always an interesting journey to go on. Sometimes it's dark. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes we learn way too much about ourselves. The bad things about ourselves. Yes. Uh, So, and we put this out every week, come rain or come shine. So uh, we really encourage you to listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Let us not be vulnerable for nothing. That's right. That's right. All right. We will catch you in 2021 on Tweet Victory. Happy holidays. Follow us at Annie underscore Berglund and or at CWC Radio. Well, Annie, (laughs) what a ride it's been. How do we say goodbye, Sam? How do we end this? How do we end 2020? I think we just say goodbye. Yeah.
will he want for all? 